up everyone good morning good afternoon good evening wherever you are in the world or whenever you are in the world i hope you're doing well this is the alternate fields podcast uh i am michael vazen vanasik um that song you just heard in the intro that was alexander pade uh the feeling is missing I believe it is available as we speak on all streaming platforms and anywhere you can purchase and download music uh, right now. So go check that out. Um, uh, and he is my second guest on the third episode of the Alternate Fields podcast. Uh, the name of this episode is Interdependence. Uh, Alexander is a Boston-bred um, 
uh, interdependent artist, songwriter, singer, producer, DJ, entrepreneur, uh, content creator, filmmaker, and just overall interesting individual and talented guy. Uh, a perfect example of uh, someone who alternates between many fields of creativity and expression. And it was a great time having him on the show. Um, we got into a lot of things, uh, like how we met uh, on a Che Pope's temperature check, uh, producer community, and we've actually started collaborating on some music of recent as well. Uh, we've been developing a collaborative relationship over the last couple months, and uh, it's just been really great getting to know him and learning about his process and uh, his story, which he actually filmed and edited a documentary series kind of getting into his origin story and his uh, process as a creative uh, content creator and musician. Um, in all things considered, uh, which you can also check out now as well. Of course, I will leave all these, uh, all the pertinent links and handles in the description and at anchor.com slash alternate fields, um, etc., etc. Anyways, we get into so much here, so I'm not going to keep you long in this little monologue uh, intro, but uh, yeah, buckle up. Uh, and uh, strap in and uh, hopefully you find uh, some value in uh, this conversation uh, when it comes to creativity, music production, songwriting and just the whole thought process uh, that goes into all that. Um, I definitely uh, deepened my perspective and expanded my mind after having this conversation and it was a great privilege to have Alexander on the show. So without further ado, uh, here we go. Episode three with Alexander Pade, Interdependence. Enjoy, guys. What's up? What's up? Welcome to episode three of the Alternate Fields podcast with your host, Michael Vanasik, a.k.a. Vazen. Um, I have a special guest and somewhat of a new friend and collaborator, Alexander Pade. What up, what up? He's in Boston area right now. Um, he is... and. I think I said this in the monologue, but the the name of this episode is Interdependence, and we will be getting into that in a bit. But Alexander, is you're, were you born and raised in Boston? Yeah, I was. Okay. Yeah. So born and raised in Boston. He's an interdependent artist, DJ, producer, singer-songwriter, content creator, entrepreneur, Am I missing anything uh, there? <laughs> it's a lot, man. I don't know. And, you know, being that I'm, I only have interesting people that do interesting things on this podcast, as you can hear by uh, all the things he is able to do, uh, he is a very interesting, unique individual. Alex, welcome to the Alternate Fields podcast. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me. It's good to be here. 
Yeah, so let's just catch people up quick on kind of how we uh, met. Um, if you want to kind of take it, take it from there, from your uh, perspective. Yeah, yeah. Bring them up to speed. Uh, the way I remember it, um, I was, uh, we, we, we kind of met, we encountered each other a few times on Che Pope's uh, workshop. And, uh, you know, he'd been inviting producers and artists and stuff to, to submit tracks. Um, so like we both liked the stuff we heard from each other. Um, I reached out to you, um, and said, Hey, you know, I'm trying to like sort of pave this path to learning how to collaborate digitally. Um, and, uh, I sort of invited you in to, to do something. Right. Uh, and you said yes. And, you know, we, uh, we jumped on a zoom call and I remember the, the song we we're making, like, you know, sounded sick, but we kept on having to like pause cause everything was like crackling and stuff. Cause the computer I had at the time was like too slow to handle it and shit. Yeah. Mine too. Um, but, uh, you know, we did our thing and, uh, here we are today. We're still making stuff. Yeah. We actually, uh, did another one too recently, which I'm excited for both of them to get done and sharing with the world. But, yeah. uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I was, uh, I mean, through all these live stream, um, communities that have been developing since the quarantine measures, uh, I've been doing more networking like this, uh, through them like never before. And it's been super cool meeting all sorts of interesting artists, producers, creators, whatever. Yeah. And like I was saying earlier, it's funny uh, right now, like I'm up to like three Bostonians and I don't know <laughs> what, uh, what that's all about, but I'm loving it so far. Um, let's see. So that's, that's definitely a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of, so we're going to talk about like your documentary series, so people will get a chance to like get the more detailed view of your story, but kind of just like tell us a, I'd say like an elevator story of your journey up to now, like where you, your origins and kind of like, you know, but this elevator, you know, it's, it's a tall building. So, you know, you can take as much time as you want, but, you know, kind of, but leave the details range. for the doc because the people got to go check out the docu-series to get the full scoop, but he'll give you a, a little briefing here. All right. So the upper range, uh, high level, high level, uh, elevator pitch. Uh, yeah, man, I, you know, I've, I've been doing music for a long time. I've been interested in entrepreneurship for a long time. I've been interested in marketing for a long time. Um, and you know, I, decided that I wanted to test the boundaries of, you know, what one person can take on, uh, in terms of responsibility for music business and all that stuff. Um, especially I think there's like a big focus on the production side and being able to, uh, create, um, flexibly independently when necessary. Um, and for me, the trajectory of, of like musical creation and entertainment um, starts with the story of how it's being made. Um, and, you know, all the, you know, I nerd out about technology and stuff all the time and think about how music has uh, 
music creation has shifted a ton. Um, so I try to, you know, move forward at the forefront of that, you know, um, can I be, uh, an independent producer, an artist, and does it stop there? You know, the idea of the interdependent thing is like, okay, if I'm able to make music myself, um, as a producer artist, how can I leverage that to go further than just making music or just making music on my own? Um, so the thing that I'm pretty like crazy on right now is like, you know, collaborating with people from a place of, um, from a, from a starting point of independence, basically. Uh, I, I hate to see artists like go into deals where, you know, they felt like they had to sign, you know, they didn't have a choice, you know, it's the only way they're going to make money. Um, I just, I think there's so many upcoming new ways of, of creating content, creating value through that content, um, using music, uh, in interesting ways. Um, I think, you know, we're going to see a lot more like sort of small, like micro sponsorships. We're going to see a lot more artists put out their own content series, um, you know, podcasting, uh, whether it be video or audio only, uh, and also like building entire communities and entire brands around this recurring content. Um, and we can all do it from our basements. So, you know, I'm not the, I'm not the person who's saying, Hey, like fuck record labels or, um, whatever. It's more so like create leverage for yourself. Um, and you know give yourself the gift of being able to create on your own terms anytime you want to word and i have to stop you there because we're getting into things ahead of schedule that we're going to be talking more in depth of more so what's like the you know the timeline of like okay you grew up in boston mm. like the fast track kind of montage kind of movie scene of your timeline oh, like growing up kind of obviously that's why i said you know you get into more of the details in your docuseries but what's sure. like the kind of brief timeline that like like you know you grew up in boston you i got you something of how you, how you first encountered music you know you went to then you went to university harvard and you know da, 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 that kind of thing which again cool. you can save the details uh yeah, yeah. for the okay yeah so you know my mom had me in 1993 um, and, you know, she was a single mom, uh, met my stepdad when I was seven years old um, from around like six or seven onwards. I was doing some form of music, uh, started out playing the cello uh, in high school. I, I went up, I went to a, like New England prep school. And so I started branching out with my free time while I was living there, you know, playing in like cover band, like rock cover bands and stuff and just expanding my musical repertoire. So eventually got, did you stay, did you like stay on campus type thing? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, yeah, I lived in, I lived in a dorm from like 14 to, to like 21 basically. That's crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, like I, I did that and, um, then I, I got admitted to Harvard, and um, when I got there, I uh, I discovered DJing, and at first it was like focused around electronic music, and then eventually 
I discovered like hip hop and, you know, some of the pop music that comes out of hip hop. Um, and I haven't fucked around with EDM in a long time, actually. Like I, I like hip hop more than I did EDM, I think. Uh, and as I was learning how to DJ, I was also learning how to produce and, you know, I, I had a nightlife company that I made with some friends. And so I had plenty of DJ gigs. Like I set up a situation where I had plenty of DJ gigs and I'd make money and put it towards a studio. And I did that for like nine years, basically. Um, eventually once I felt comfortable making beats and stuff, I used like my ability to my raw skill of singing cause I'd been singing in choirs and stuff. And, and I sang in an acapella group. Um, and my like public speaking because I learned public speaking and stuff and basically started like rapping and writing and singing songs and stuff. Um, and then those nine years were kind of spent just gluing all of that together right. and um, taking on various projects that that required me to leverage all of the skills, not just like one or the other. Um, and, you know, maybe I guess the best way of putting it is I did that two or three times um, each time kind of upping the ante and trying to take things further, um, in terms of the creative side, in terms of the marketing, in terms of the community building. Um, and now I'm sort of where I am today. You know, I've put out a big mixtape with like 18 different artists on it. Um, I just put out an album worth of songs that I'm really proud of where I was the only person who touched all of the songs. Um, so the music is certainly imperfect, but like, the fact that it's 95% to, you know, I'd say a professional quality experience for me feels like that's the point, you know, right. look at what I was able to do, um, which shows that, you know, I can choose to sit in any seat that I want to. Um, and today, you know, I'm focused on live streaming. I'm focused on putting out content that tells the story of the studio. So like making music on camera and inviting people to watch the process uh, as a form of entertainment uh, is a very big part of what it is that I'm doing now. And I think fans, music listeners, uh, people who um, are looking to discover new artists and stuff more than ever in this time, I feel like they're more attracted to artists that have taken that approach like that you have described because there's a certain like genuine authenticity and like no filtration before it hits their you know ears or eyes or souls you know and like they can connect on a deeper level there which i mean at least from my perspective that's how i see it and that is cool so i wanted to ask and i'm sure other people are curious um how would you describe your experience at Harvard and like, what was your, what would you say like the big takeaway lesson was? And I'm not saying it has to be like academic or anything, like, you know, cause like for me, I went to college. I didn't go to class much, but I went through all the way, but I still had a big takeaway of like, you know, I grew up a lot, you know, I found myself, you know, those types of things. So talk about kind of your experience at Harvard uh, somewhat and what that was like. Is that, that's no, that's no joke, man. Yeah, man. Like it, it was weird. Like, you know, when I, um, actually turn out my, my voice for me very quickly, by the way. Okay. There we go. Yeah. So when I, give me one more chance. Sorry. Check, check. Okay. There we go. So yeah, when I, uh, got into Harvard, I got into like 
all the schools that I applied to, I had been obsessed, you know, by virtue of like my family wanting me to be obsessed with getting into the best college that I could. Um, I'd been on that track for a really long time. Like, you know, my, my dad, um, is from Nigeria. He has an immigrant mentality. It's like the best or nothing. Right. Um, or that's what it felt like. So I get there and, you know, I'm all about like going to get like a banking job. I'm going to make this happen. You know, going to live in New York, all that stuff. And, uh, I think, I think that was just for me, it was just a trap. Like it didn't make sense. There were signs that suggested it didn't make sense. But when you're in the environment you're in, um, you start to uh, feel a sense of um, being pushed into certain things. You know what I mean? I kind of like expectations yeah. and pressures. That, you know, yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. So when I got there, like, I was all about being that perfect, like Harvard student or whatever, and, you know, getting the job at the bank, working in New York, all that stuff. And, um, you know, the crazy thing, like if you look at the stats and you like talk to, you know, the people who offer counseling and stuff over there, like, look, you know, I think it's like 30% of people who go into banking leave in two years or less. And, um, you know, when those people leave, they take a massive pay cut um, because they're getting paid so well by these banks. And so, you know, that says something interesting about the dynamic you can get yourself into at Harvard, right? Like you're there, you're among the best of the best, and you're supposed to do a certain thing. There's like five, all five things that are okay to do coming out of Harvard. It's like, you know, banking, doctor, lawyer, consultants, teach for America right. is, what, is what they say. Uh, so, you know, it took me a while to extricate myself from that. In fact, it took me so long that uh, my grades really suffered to the point Harvard asked me to take a year off. So I had to take a year off after my freshman year. All of my friends moved on to their next year and I was behind by a year. Um, but during they didn't, that they didn't year, pick you out, they, they invited you to take a, basically take a year to just kind of feel it out. Well, it was, it was, a, it was, um, a, a non, um, an, an involuntary leave of absence is what they call it. Uh, an involuntary leave of absence. So I didn't have a choice in this. Uh, they made me do it. Uh, but it, that's like. Look, like I was probably lucky because when you do get to that type of place, like there's there is no doubt that like there's a certain level of like padding. Um, you know, there's kind of like a soft landing with these types of things, you know, like it's actually kind of hard to to get kicked out of Harvard unless like you cheat on something and or like, you know, right. you, you commit some sort of crime like um so that's built into their system. It's built in like if you if you lose if you if you fail one class and get anything worse than a C minus in a second class, then this automatically happens unless there's some serious extenuating circumstances. Um, so no, I wasn't kicked out. I but I say I was kicked out because I think it's I think it's cooler. Uh, <laughs> uh, so so 
I had this leave of absence and it's designed to, to help you to figure your stuff out. And you know, the cool thing about that is in contrast to like, you know, how so many people go into banking and then they realize they hate it. 85, 90% of people who go through a year off in college like that at Harvard say they would have done it again if they had the choice. Wow. Um, and I, you know, I, can see why, like for me, you know, I realized this was going to be a great year really quickly. Uh, you know, it, it was a simple year. Like I, I worked in fashion retail and in fashion marketing and like, I fucking <laughs> like showed up to like hotel bars cause they wouldn't card me and like, you know, drank with like, you know, a bunch of like 35 year old professionals who were making like ridiculous amounts of money. Some of them, some of them were like crazy, like artists. Like I remember I had like a dinner with like one dinner that had like, uh, like a cancer research scientist from MIT, uh, this really badass um, orchestra conductor, like the, the world's like first female investment banker. And then like somebody else who was like crazy. Um, just because I was like going and having these conversations in like hotel bars and I'm, you know, 19 years old. Um, but when I wasn't doing that, I was DJing, uh, I was practicing DJing. So, uh, I did that for a year and, you know, figured out, okay, maybe I've been ignoring this music thing a bit too much. Um, and of course, as soon as I realized that and just sort of accepted that that was what it was, um, you know, my grades went up, you know, back to like B's A's. Um, because I was choosing classes that related to what it was I wanted to do. Like, uh, it was much more focused. Uh, you know, I learned to find professors that actually are good at teaching rather yeah. than doing these like big 300 person courses. Like I took a lot of practical courses too, you know, public speaking, I mentioned, um, I, I managed to get into like a really cool music production class, um, and they had like a $50,000 studio set up um, that helped me sort of practice as I was figuring my stuff out in my own little studio. Um, but I mean, I think therein lies sort of the lesson. Um, it's just, it's it's kind of just like a waste of time to, to do what other people expect you to do out of sort of cultural reasons or whatever, as far as your career is concerned. It's just, it's a total waste of time because, you know, one, one guy put it well, uh, Robert Greene, he wrote uh, 48 Laws of Power. He wrote Mastery. He kind of says, look, you got, you got a choice. You can either fake it until you're 30. Like, oh yeah, I like, I like banking. I like right. being an accountant. This is great. Um, and then realize that you hate it. And because you've hated it the whole time, you're not even that good at it. And then you're stuck or you could spend your career formative years just doing whatever it is that you want to do. Um, Getting those hard years kind of out of the way, you know, at an earlier age, so to speak. Well, yeah, they, and, and they should be, I mean, they're hard, but they should be simple, right? Because, you know, these are the years where you have less to lose. Right. Um, and so you can take more risks. And as a result of that, you know, you might get to, the 30, the age 30 mark and having done all these things that seem completely random, they seem unrelated. Uh, you have that epiphany, the way that people have that, like, 
uh, overnight success epiphany that they do, or like, you know, they get discovered or whatever, like that's not an accident. Uh, it actually makes sense that it happens this way, right? Cause you know, you'll be working and working and working and working and trying different things and trying different things. And there'll come a point when all the unique elements that, that came together to make you, you, uh, you finally find that like crossroad point. Um, that's a perfect, cause yeah. that was the next question I was going to ask is like, what was that moment, that epiphany, like you're saying, like, I mean, you're talking about it now, but I know in my journey, like there was a moment, like at the end of college when I was just more like drinking, playing football, kind of going to school and something like shook me within like, yo, here's a two, like the fork in the road, you know, yeah. here's the framework kind of expectation that I should take socially, culturally, familially. Um, and here's this other road that's kind of a dark road and it's unknown, but like there, that road to me was like where the spark of inspiration and like intuition was saying, Hey, try it, go down to the basement, start playing guitar, you know, follow your passion, you know? So yeah. what, what kind of talk about that experience to, uh, that you had in recognizing that? Yeah, man. Like, you know, these, these things kind of come in waves. I, I can't, I, I don't think I've had a, a, a single moment, although I have, I have like several moments that, um, maybe they represented some kind of a mental shift, but I also think that like recognizing wh where it is I'm going has, has come historically in, in, in sort of like onion peel layers, um, getting deeper and closer and closer and closer. Um, for sure, you know, getting kicked out of college kind of, it gave me permission to start thinking differently. Yeah, um, kind of like a catalyst of some sort. Yeah. And, and, you know, each thing led to the next thing. Um, and, you know, it, it wouldn't be accurate to, for me to say like, oh, well, you know, I just realized I'm going to be an interdependent artist. Like I didn't, I, you know, all that I realized was, I like DJing. I should do this more. Right, right. You know, and then, oh, you know, I like producing. I should do this more. Um, and then like, oh, wait, like I've learned how to sing throughout my life. I've learned public speaking. Uh, I've, I've written like poetry and I, I've been, I, I'm actually uh, a, what's the word? Um, I'm a published poet. Uh, I won like some prize like back in fucking middle school. Uh, and so my poetry has been like published in like some book that exists in some dusty library somewhere that no one's read. Um, but like, you know, I kind of, I, I realized that I had the choice to just assume that I can, you know, like, oh yeah, I could probably do that. I could probably do that too. Yeah. I could probably do like, I don't know how, but I probably could, you know, um, and you're and, willing to because it, you associated it probably with like a good feeling or like an inspirational energy that, you know, kind of confirmed that uh, recognition probably. Absolutely. Um, I Like, I think um, there's, how would I put this? That being, being an artist, I mean, there's certainly an element of it being like, okay, this is my calling, that sort of thing. Um, 
I I'm of the belief that anybody can do anything. Yeah. Like like you and I have the cognitive capacity to make a ridiculous like scientific breakthrough in like biology if we wanted to. Are we going to do it? Probably not. But um you know, there is that level of okay, do I enjoy this? Um I think some people fall into early practice of things almost by accident. Um, you know, people look at Mozart as a huge example of, you know, musical genius um, and that he was, you know, so good, but he also started earlier. Um, and the reason he started earlier was because his parents would like applaud him whenever he thumped on the piano because his dad was a piano composer. He was a composer and all that stuff. So, um, and I think his sister was a violinist too. Uh, so the whole reason for him doing music was literally like child insecurity. Right. You know, Positive I want to be liked by people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but of course that transformed into something else. So, you know, that just goes back to this idea that like, you know, everything isn't like written in the clouds necessarily. Whenever we look back, you know, and, and tell the story, like it, it looks like everything was on purpose. But when you're sitting there, like deciding what to do, you know, you know, you, you got to make decisions based on the, the present. Like that's the only option that really works. Um, so, you know, that's kind of what I started doing. Like I, I let go of um, what other people wanted me to do. And um, I said, you know what, like. I'm just not going to be, I'm just not going to be that guy. I'm not going to be, um, the classic Harvard success story. Uh, I'm just going to be my own success story. Right. And, and it all not, fell it's not, like there's that. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, that, that kind of framework structure that, uh, unfolding, but, and I think what I'm getting from like the takeaway that you're speaking of is like, it's you you have the opportunity through going to Harvard and taking that path um, to open up yourself to allow to discover a discovery process, which I think is the key. I don't think enough people like allow themselves to do something different, see something in a different way to allow like a discovery process, usually to discover what's already there. Like in your case, like you already had you're you're kind of just recognizing through when that was all unfolding, uh, innate kind of uh, talents uh, that you already kind of had developing that were kind of coming together at that time that made it obvious, like, this is, I'm at least going to keep exploring this because it excites me and I have, you know, it, it inspires me to look further into it, which is super cool. Mm -hmm. I feel very much like a similar uh, story when it comes to, finding that because uh, there's definitely a moment where it's like I'm going to go that direction and I don't know how I don't have anyone telling me how to do it like I don't know did you have like a mentor like did someone teach you DJing I mean how did you kind of learn uh, the, the, the tools of the trade or those skill sets I had a ton of mentors um, I mean mentors how you know the, the right selection of mentors is, is huge. Uh, and, you know, those mentors have come and gone throughout the years. You know, some of those people are in person people I know, like, you know, with DJing, I always pointed to uh, DJ Tontera 
um, because he he's a DJ from Boston. He was, you know, the guy who showed me this open format style of music, of DJing, where you're going from style to style to style. And that was, you know, a platform uh, that took me all the way to sort of where I am today. You know, I'm I'm taking on different styles of music as I create what I create. And, um, you know, I had formal teachers who taught me public speaking, who taught me how to play guitar a little bit, although that was very brief. Um, I had YouTube videos and, you know, even with this whole live streaming thing, you know, there's there's certain channels uh, that I've gotten like 95% of my information from. Right. Um, and, you know, with like Facebook ads and stuff, same thing. Like there's these online communities uh, and services and course series that give you so much um, and that can help sort of inform your philosophy for how you need to move forward. Um, and, you know... I think again, with all this stuff there, you know, suddenly your education becomes like doing things and, right. and just like gathering the information necessary to take them to completion. Um, and oftentimes, you know, I will choose projects uh, specifically for that reason. I'll choose a project that's designed to force me. Uh, like for instance, right now, you know, one of the projects, in the form of like a skill that I'm trying to build is just like sales. You know, I'm uh, focused on uh, getting way more comfortable with just like cold calling people that I should have no like business reaching out to, you know, like artists with a hundred thousand followers, this, that, and the third. And it's like, okay, how do I reach out to those people effectively? Um, you know, what, what value do I have to provide as an artist and as a, a creative business? to 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 get those people's attention and 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 successfully collaborate with them um before that it was the mixtape it was okay well i want to make music better what's the fastest way i can do that uh okay maybe if i collaborate with like 30 artists in a year then that's the answer and so i just went with it and of course a bunch of other ideas came out along the way as a result of just me getting started um but i'm very glad that i didn't like insist that I know exactly what was going to turn out, you know, taking like a skill oriented approach of, you know, the reason I'm doing this is to get better at something um, versus chasing after money or chasing after uh, followers. You know, it's, it's slower at the beginning, but it's more sustainable growth at the end. Right. Yeah. And I think more music specifically DJing production, songwriting, performing like you can go to full sale berkeley all you want sit in front of it, learn about theory but it's all you get the most effective beneficial i would say uh education by directly inserting yourself into those fields live and in real time and you know throw yourself into the fire and start to learn things pick up things along the way and you know also kind of uh develop character through that and that's at what you, you talked about the uh mixtape so i that was a great segue to, i want to kind of hear about that process you was this like uh were you still at harvard when you start had that idea to like do that big collaboration with 
local Bostonian uh, artists and producers. Tell, tell us about uh, that a little bit. I was out of college uh, for a while at that point. Um, so this was like 2010, 11, or 12? Wait, No, the, the mixtape was, was just a year ago. Um, oh, okay, okay. So that, that came out last summer, uh, 2019, summer of 2019. Uh, the, the lead up to that, of course, was you know probably two or three years leading up to that. And so that two or three year period, um, I mean, I, I graduated in like May of 2016. Um, I was right before uh, the uh, the Trump election. So uh, yeah, you know, since, since then I was in Boston kind of just doing my thing, trying to build my credibility as a producer, my abilities as a songwriter. Um, I remember like soon after, right on graduation, I, I started dating this girl who was actually a very talented songwriter. And I kind of took that skill in like a sponge. And um, I'd say that, that that, as far as my music development is concerned, was kind of like a straight, just like two, three year period of learning how to combine producing with being an artist with songwriting. Um, and, you know, basically I knew that I wanted to get into the Boston scene. Um, I knew I wanted to learn faster. Um, and, you know, just working with other people was just clearly the most sort of accessible, fast way of doing that. Right. So you kind of had, like you were you were learning production songwriting at this time you were already like kind of somewhat in the scene like djing and like throwing events with your company right so you're you're networking meeting artists through that i imagine but then you spent a few years in the midst of that like learning production recording songwriting um then you have an idea to I mean, did you know any of these artists at the time or did you just kind of have this idea like, I'm just going to start reaching out to these people with the idea of, hey, I'm doing this collaborative album or to just like come uh, as you were developing songs with each new collaborator? Yeah, so, you know, nightlife and music are two very different things in Boston. Um I was doing the nightlife thing like 2013, 2014. Um, then I put a pause on that company, uh, more a period on that, um, and went back to college to finish off, you know, the last, I want to say like two and a half years or something. Um, cause I took some more time off to like run this company and then I came back, um, and so I took a serious hiatus from the nightlife thing. Uh, and st I still did a few things here or there, but I also transitioned more into event DJing, uh, weddings, corporate, that sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, I also spent a lot of time during the rest of my college years from like 2014 to 2016 uh, doing like marketing stuff, doing... Uh, 
again, taking like all those practical classes I mentioned. So there's, you know, the, for instance, I was the marketing coordinator for TEDx for a year. Um, and, uh, I was learning the public speaking stuff during this time. And I was, uh, you know, learning a lot of production stuff and, and how to work in a studio. Um, by 26, right around 2016, 2016 was when I bought my first microphone and started seriously like recording, um, myself, uh, as an artist, uh, I got, you know, an audio interface and all that stuff. So all the way up to that point, you know, I had the DJing stuff down like Pat, um, but production wise, it was mostly, mostly like my laptop and then the DJ speakers. So 2016 to like 2018, uh, you know, is a much fuller, like we're making songs and stuff now. Right. Um, and this is getting back to the, to your question, I promise. Um, also during that time from, I want to say 2016 to, no, maybe it was like 2017 to COVID. I was working for this, uh, charitable organization that's based in the arts uh, and based out of Harvard University um, that wanted to connect with uh, philanthropic opportunities and educational opportunities in the arts. So I opted to start hosting these conversations um, with DJs and with with like major artists. Um, that were all about like their creative process and all of that. So, um, first of all, with the local events that I did with like local DJs and stuff, which I did with, uh, this, uh, organization called killer Boombox, They helped me to, to get all the DJs in place. Um, that was the starting point for my connecting with Boston people. Um, you know, I was providing some, some value. Like I was sort of showcasing myself as like, a, you know, what, like a thinker or whatever, you know, uh, in the field, you know, trying to host these conversations. And I used that, um, I think to my benefit to, to be able to say, Hey, you know, I'd love to have you like somebody in the crowd, like, Hey, I noticed you're an artist. I'd love to have you in, in the studio. So like, that's kind of how I started bringing the first few people in. I started going to events and stuff. I started going to like hip hop parties and stuff like that. Um, you know, release shows, things of that nature, and just showing myself over and over and over again. And you know, sometimes like I'd go five times in a row, like five weeks in a row, you know, and that would be how I got someone's attention. You know what I mean? Like, uh, cause, cause you need to, uh, it's funny, like in the CIA, like that some of the, one of the things they teach this in the CIA is like how to like get a contact used to you, like how to approach them. And they'll, they'll take months to approach that person. Um, and each time they'll inch a little bit closer. Like first you'll just see them out of the corner of your eye. Then they'll like go through the door of the grocery store at the same time as you. Then they'll say hi to you while you're picking up like milk. And then eventually like two months later, they finally start a conversation and cause you've seen them so many times, you're comfortable with them approaching you. It's, it's, it's really interesting stuff, but like, um, looking back, I didn't really do this on purpose, but that's what I did. Um, you know, I also like 
reached out to some people. Like for instance, I reached out to a DJ and said, Hey, like I just, I noticed you didn't have a website. So like I built you a website. You can have it if you want to. And that DJ later, like let me, um, open for him at his birthday party, like, you know, stuff like that. There's all these sorts of things that I did, but for sure, um, you know, I, I took the skills that I had and like leveraged them to provide some upfront value. And then, you know, I sought projects going a little bit further into the process that put all that I'd done together in a way that added even more value on the back end. Um, so like when I'm asking these artists, Hey, like, why don't we make some music? You know, I was more leveraging like the legitimacy, the credibility of like, you know, doing these events, you know, I definitely like had to use the Harvard name a little bit, you know, um, I also just like being a producer, like I, I, I reached out to them as an artist, but sort of said, Hey, like I'm offering you free, like studio time, basically, like we're going to make something really dope together. Um, yeah. you're not going to pay for any studio time for it. Um, so we, we both win, you know, if, if it doesn't work, then we just don't put it out. It's just five hours of your time. Um, and you know, for the first one, you know, the first few, I had much less other than sort of that, you know, I had to make that pitch effectively, but eventually, you know, there comes a point when you've worked with a lot of people. So, you know, if you reach out to somebody and say, Hey, I want to make music with you, um, like generally like you're looking on Instagram and it's like, you have like 10, 20, 30, even more shared friends. And, you know, they'll just take a look at your social media and be like, Oh shit. Like, yeah, this guy knows what he's doing. Um, so the pitch becomes easier over time and you get to sort of leverage that, that brand credibility for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's a good synopsis of, of how I did it. You know, um, I had to build and on top of what I had at the time. Yeah, I think that speaks to like a natural like producer mentality, um, someone who can kind of recognize dynamics while out there in the field and connecting with people, um, seeing what's available, seeing how you can provide value, kind of being a facilitator too and like being like, ooh, I mean, because it probably ended up just like making sense to start, you know, creating a, a conceptual collaborative album um, based off of yeah. all the experience that led up to it, all the people you're meeting and so on. Um, so through that, cause that to me doing like a collaborative album, um, if you set out to do it like conceptually from the start um, seems like it could be kind of chaotic and you're dealing with all sorts of different people's time and like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's not easy. Yeah, so I can't imagine it's an easy uh, endeavor to manage all the all all those artists and stuff to like actually finish a full album project with all different artists. Uh, what did you? What was like your takeaway from that coming through that experience successfully? Where you completed the project that you set out to do um, collaboratively and released it? Right? Was that your first project release musically at that time? You know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't. I mean, I, I, I put out some releases, you know, that were smaller. Like I put out a five song EP. Um, I mean, that EP also like sucked compared to, you know, what we put out with a mixtape, which in turn kind of sucked compared to 
what I was able to achieve, just like in terms like the mixing and, right. you know, my ability to craft songs, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, first of all, yes, it's, it's very chaotic. Um, but it's all, it's all doable. Um, like, How to put it like it's it's all it's it's all mental game first of all it really right. is all mental game like if you if you say to yourself well that's not possible right which some people told me it wasn't possible to do something like that in boston then you won't do it i mean there's a zero percent chance that you'll do it but if you try then there's at least like a something percent chance that you'll get it done right. um and you know, I learned that like the the difference um, if there's a range between getting it done and between not getting it done and getting it done perfectly, you know, that, that the stuff in between that that spectrum is is what I'd call like what level of fidelity were you able to achieve it at, you know? Um, so, you know, a huge part of what I was doing was engineering a situation where multiple people benefited from inputting creatively. And um, the the more that I managed to do that, the more layers that I managed to, to achieve that, um, the further I could go with it. So, you know, for instance, you know, the artists all benefit from being part of this project because you know, they're all benefiting from each other. They're not really benefiting from me as much as they're benefiting from me doing the work to cut through whatever politics have prevented them from uh, working together before. Right. Um, and, you know, organizing the shoot and uh, organizing the plan and then carrying that plan out um, and going through the stress the day before the shoot and the day, the day before you know, the, the big release event and the cookouts that we did and all this stuff. So, um, you know, that fidelity. So, so like, for instance, if, if I had only gotten like the, the level of investment that I got these artists to give me, um, allowed it to make sense for them to make an investment of actual money to pay for a videographer, um, to do the project if I had come up with an even larger scale plan that, you know, I was able to sort of prove was going to, you know, reach a certain amount of people, um, was going to, uh, involve, you know, a certain amount of artists was going to have a certain level of quality, you know, for, I could, maybe I could say that if I had already done this before, which I had not, um, I'd have more information and more to sort of plan with, um, then maybe I could have gotten them to pay enough money to also, you know, pay for an editor who knows what they're doing more than I do. So they can deal with that while I focus more on, you know, reaching out to brands and, and, and just sort of taking it further and taking it further. Um, so there's the visual fidelity side, but then I think there's also kind of like the meaning, um, you know, when you watch a movie where, you know, every single shot was on purpose, you know, 
you there's there's all these callbacks and like everything's done deliberately you know i i think you know uh, when you build a brand that really like gets it, like they know exactly who they are and like everything that they do is, has a purpose. Right. right. Um, so I think, I mean, there's that. Um, and when you really sharpen an idea like that, you know, what you're doing really is you're just making more and more deliberate decisions, more well thought out decisions while also, you know, again, you know, getting more specialists to take on a higher grade of, of visual fidelity, um, audio fidelity and that sort of thing. So, you know, but that wasn't like, that wasn't the, the point, like that wasn't necessarily the goal, like the, 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 the core of it, the thing that I had originally wanted to achieve was the music and, you know, being able to say, I brought these people together. So the music side, you know, was the first challenge because, you know, first of all, it just takes time. Um, second of all, you know, over the course of this year, I'm getting better at what I'm doing. And there comes a point when it's like, oh shit, like the earlier songs don't sound as good as the later songs. So I need to like remake them and I have to stay organized with like spreadsheets. Okay. Well, these are the songs that need to be finished. And of course, as you do that, you have to like watch YouTube videos and stuff that give you a really clear, bounded workflow for how to mix the songs without wasting too much time. Um, you know, okay, I want to be able to mix these songs in two hours rather than spending five, six, seven hours getting lost in the process. What do I need to do to do that? Um, and of course with, you know, I was the editor. Um, so, you know, I'm sure I wasted a lot of time on that, you know, cause I was scared of it because I focused on things I didn't really need to focus on because I, I did things in an order that added more time uh, to the process by accident. Um, but like, again, like that was the point, you know, like those challenges were the reason sort of why I, I did it. And as soon as I came up with idea after idea, I'm like, shit, like I have to do this now because, you know, this is why I'm here anyways. So um, making the music was a challenge keeping things organized was a challenge, you know, learning how to mix, learning how to, how to, uh, work with others, work with others. Work yeah. Walks I, of life. I mean, um, I'm sure I mean, you learned yeah. a shitload too from each yeah. different artist and their approach as far as, uh, yeah. the process, songwriting, recording. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so you'd say that at the core level, you got out of it, what you intend to, intended on essentially learning wise, yeah. experience wise. And yeah. I got, I mean, more, I got more out of it than I intended because, um, the, the idea expanded from the initial concept. Like I said, um, originally it was really just about like, okay, let's, let's get this producing this producer artist thing down. Um, like I want to learn from these people, but of course, I, I ended up taking responsibility for a lot more than just the music. You know what I mean? Um, suddenly we're getting into video territory and, and you know, that eventually translates to like a show, you know, the cold call that translates to this live streaming thing. And, you know, now like, because my mind sort of opened up to that, I'm kind of saying to myself, okay, yeah, making music's great and you know, it's sick and you're going to keep doing that. And you, you, I still want to like win those Grammys and stuff, but like, you know, what would happen if 
I also took the the video side and like the creation of like really entertaining content and I added that to the table. Um, so I mean, it just opened my mind up to stuff because I mean, it's just again, it's the mental game because there's there's people out there who who get offended that like, you know, the world doesn't recognize how great they are at being just like a rapper. And you know, what I say to that is, yo, like if they're, if they're literally making like, you know, AI driven music and they're making like, you know, pop stars that are completely digital, they're just computer generated pop stars. And like those things are making a ton of money already. And they're going to make way more. If there's people out there who are able to like, produce records and write records and sing and perform and make video content and stuff, then you better be a really fucking good rapper because nobody cares, man. Like seriously, yeah. nobody cares. I mean, from a business standpoint, that doesn't give you any leverage. That's like not even the bare bones. As far as I'm concerned, looking at what I'm able to do and then what other people aren't able to do, you know, it's, it's just simple leverage is simple math you know like uh i mean people should count themselves lucky just from the standpoint of being forced to get out of their comfort zones they should consider themselves lucky that this covid thing has happened because otherwise you know like it, it, i think a lot of people in in boston a lot of people everywhere in every career everything um want what they really want is they want comfort and they want to feel recognized and like uh they're the shit um and they don't want to put in the work for it because what it took for somebody to become a gangster rapper in the 90s was way more and way harder than what it takes to like be a rapper with songs today you know like that's not impressive anymore like you need to right. take on more responsibility like the goalposts are way further today than they were uh, 20 years ago so that for me you know that's like I, I like to i like to have options you know i like to explore things and nerd out um but like for me like i want to make it like i want to do what i want to do on my own terms and for me i just i regardless of if i have a harvard degree or not in fact you know i i gotta fucking be good at what i do and i gotta be able to do a lot Right. Instead of being just a one-dimensional rapper or artist or anything. I mean, because you can learn any, like you said, and like we've learned and others, you can learn anything these days if you just, you know, have an intention to do so and see that it could uh, benefit uh, your independence, um, which yeah. you're talking about film stuff. That's a good segue to season one documentary series slash album right it's s1 s1 baby so <laughs> you kind of got experience from doing some video work from the collaborated collaborative stuff um mm -hmm. and that's what kind of uh led you to deciding to d develop a docu-series uh mm -hmm. complement yeah. an album that you had finished did you finish them you finished the music already and then you came up with the idea to start shooting uh for a documentary yeah so i originally you know i mean this this whole covid thing happens and um 
you know, I, I'm pretty much done with this music and it's like, what, what the fuck, like, am I going to do now? Um, and I mean, the first thing was I decided to put the music out one, once per week. Um, I love, I love the thing that Russ does uh, that, that he did, uh, where he started putting out these songs and, and, you know, a lot of people have said to me, oh, putting out songs once a week, like that doesn't work anymore for, for this reason, for that reason. Cause you know, uh, you could work the algorithm on SoundCloud better or because, you know, what you don't realize is that he had, um, a like PR team and all that stuff. Like it's, it's not that simple. And I get that. And I'm sure that stuff is all true, but that wasn't the reason why I did it. The reason why I did it is because I wanted to learn how to release music better. Right. That's it. Like, yeah. And I'd much rather have 11 chances, 12 chances than one any day. And, um, in fact, the one thing that I would have done differently with the tape, if I'd had the op, if I'd, well, we kind of did do this. Um, we released the songs one, like one per day for like 10 days of pre-release content, but we released the whole project to the world publicly in one go. Um, I would have spaced it out a little bit more to like learn more from the process. That's the one thing I would have changed. But um, now, you know, coming to, you know, COVID season and um, the season one thing. And, you know, I have this opportunity to, to really learn a lot more. And of course, if you go back and you look at like the Instagram and stuff, you'll see like from week to week, the stuff I'm putting out and how it changes. Like the first, the first time I do it, it's like a shitty little like lyric video or something. And then, you know, the next week, um, it's a little bit more developed. Like it's a little bit more, uh, graphically interesting. And then I switched to like doing some like Instagram VR filter stuff. Uh, and then eventually I start doing these performances and, you know, you can sort of see me figuring stuff out in real time. Right. Um, and like keeping the things that work and letting go of the things that, that, you know, took too much time and didn't give me enough results. Um, and so again, you know, that was a success for me in that I learned what I intended to learn. Like I got better, um, I made progress and I came up with some ideas as a result of that. So for that whole time period, you know, I'm, uh, acquiring camera equipment and lighting and I'm, uh, building out my setup and, you know, I eventually grab like a mixer, um, that helps me figure out some of this audio stuff, like all these things. Um, I put in some serious time and resources to, to make this happen. Um, and you know, when it's, it's interesting because like wherever you stand, like wherever you're standing in terms of what you have, what you've done, what skills you have, um, you have a certain field of vision, right? And sometimes again, people try to like figure out everything from where they stand. It's like, you know, you're standing in mass and you're thinking, I'm going to California. Well, I need to figure out every single turn along the way. But, you know, that's literally like not how planning a trip like that works. You know, you figure out the first day of your journey, roughly. Um, you may have to take some detours and stuff along the way. But once you get through that first day of travel, that's when you're going to plan day two of travel. Right. Like, okay, well, next we're going to go here. We're going to do that. We're going to go around here. And, and, and you, you figure out the details as you go. 
And the further down you go, and in fact, like our physical vision is designed this way too. Video games are designed this way. You know, that you know, talk about draw distance and stuff, like like the stuff that's further away is a lower resolution and has less geometric detail because you don't need that level of detail to get the point. But as you come closer to that object, um, whether it be in a video game or in real life, the geometry, like the, the number of polygons and stuff increases um, in correlation with how close you are to the object. So like, and, and, and again, that's because, why is that? It's because the computer needs to not waste resources. Like if the computer was showing every little thing, like imagine Grand Theft Auto or something, every single single little thing like further off in the distance is being generated in full, you know, that's going to crash your computer in a second. So um, it's the same thing. Like you need to, you really only need to have the details for the next like few steps. Everything else, you're going to figure it out. Just assume you're going to figure it out. Um, that's going to save you so much pain and like mental energy. Like I can't explain it. Um, but similar to the mixtape, I said to myself, well, I'm going to aim towards releasing a song every week. Let's say for the next year, originally I was going to do it for the next year. Um, I took a pause from that because I kind of realized I'd gotten what I wanted to get out of it. And I wanted to do something else with this documentary, but, um, it's like, just get started, see what happens. Maybe like with the mixtape, I realize this is exactly what I need to be doing. And I double down on it and I add some more detail to it. Maybe I pivot halfway in because I realize, you know, it's opened up the door to something new. What this opened up the door for was the live streaming thing, was the documentary stuff. Um, and, you know, starting to combine the music side with the video side um, more readily and, you know, all the different things that could be done, like, you know, make a song once a week on Thursday, put it out on Monday every week for the next and see what happens. Like, you know, I can hey, do that now. And you, know? you if, and you document, I mean, you, there's no other way to make a documentary than to just start documenting, you know, the process yeah. and the journey along yeah. the way and then piece it together as you go. And, you know, hopefully it turns into something. Congrats again on finishing that. And that is out right now. Like the first, not all the episodes, right? Just like two or three of the first. Yeah. Season. The last, the last episode's actually coming out today. So by the time Ooh. they watch this, you know, it'll be, it'll be out. Nice. No, and that looks fresh. You, so Thank you. did you, you hired a cinematographer to do like the filming and, or did you do it with him and then like edit it as well? With nope. It's a hundred percent. It's a hundred percent. Um, filmed by me. So like the, 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 the interview was filmed by me and like my camera equipment and stuff. Um, and, uh, like a little bit of help from my brother maybe, but, uh, the performances as well, they were all filmed by me. Um, yeah. tripods, you know, a couple cameras, the, the, the footage that's from the past and stuff. Um, you know, I got some help, you know, like I had a videographer on the cold call, things and i had a videographer on the uh the mixtape video um but, but then yeah, you, i mean you i edited everything and edited everything like, yeah yeah damn. see and that to me i mean that to me is what i'm interested in. when i discover a new artist or someone out there generating content like if i know that they had anything to do with what they're putting out especially 
all encompassing like you it just it changes everything for me to be like oh and like you said before i like to see someone grow too and develop as an artist like with ooh, they, yeah, yeah. they tried a new thing you can kind of tell they're you know expanding the boundaries and stuff in their uh expression which you yeah. touched on it i want to uh I want to get into the idea you came up with of uh, interdependent artists. Like, just tell us what that is, because I, I looked up, I looked up the definition for interdependence, and it says the state of being dependent upon one another, mutual dependence, um, interdependence of two nations, economies, a form of symbiosis of close mutual interdependence of two species of organisms. So, uh, talk talk about being an in interdependent artist and like what that is. Cause I think you really, um, yeah. are, are quintess what's what you reflect that, uh, essentially or quintessentially. Yeah, man. I think, I think that interdependence, um, is it's like the third stage where independence is the second it's it's the halfway point um if you if you read the the seven habits of highly effective people he talks about that the writer talks about being dependent and then being independent and then being interdependent mm -hmm. and for for life and for like being a capable person in general it's it's kind of self-explanatory when you start out dependent you're a kid you know you don't know what you're doing you rely on other people to get your needs met you become independent uh and we try to become independent in as teens you know we rebel and stuff but as young adults and all that you know we leave we figure out how to live our own lives and uh we sort of go through that process and then interdependence is when we choose from that point of independence to re-enter um into relationships with other people and uh you know, the idea is that the two two or more people um, in that relationship both feel safe about being in that relationship because they know they'd be okay if they weren't right. um, in that relationship. So uh, this is in contrast to codependence. Codependence is what happens when two people who don't know how to get their own needs met independently uh, enter into a relationship perhaps too early. Um, so, I would you know, call that toxic interdependence, <laughs> toxic, inter pro yeah, you could call it that. Exactly. So, so like for me, like I, I we're, we're seeing, um, obviously that the idea of like labels versus independence and stuff is this big conversation and, you know, if you have somebody who makes, who writes great songs and, you know, you know, they, they, they manage to get into a position of receiving some great beats and stuff and they're doing their thing. Um, and then they get approached for a label deal. Well, there's, there's many forms of, of dependence and very, and many forms of independence, right? You know, the best case scenario would be one where, um, you've developed things to the point that you are sustainably making money or and or you're sustainably making music yourself um you have options um you could continue moving forward uh and continue growing if you didn't 
work with like a label. Um, and because, and so like looking at Russ as a good example, right? Like Russ is considered the ultimate independent and yet he's in a label deal. Does that mean that he's like contra contradicting himself? No, it means that he has moved into the next stage of his career, the, the next natural state, which is that he built all this leverage for himself. Um, he in fact found serious, you know, six, seven figure, maybe eight figure success on his own. Um, with, you know, his portfolio, that portfolio is still making him money. So, you know, now with the next record he puts out, he's able to comfortably enter into a label deal where he's not going to get screwed over. You know, he's going to maintain a lot of um, the things that somebody in his position would want to maintain. And what's the worst that could happen? Well, the worst that could happen is, um, you know, they they own the music or like they screw him over somehow. So what he like he can make five songs in five days, um, so like they can't they can't force him, uh, or they're less likely to be able to force him into a position that makes him uncomfortable, um, and that's why he's able to choose to enter into a relationship with them rather than feeling like he has to. Um, right. All these young guys, was, yeah. I think it was. I, I mean, it's. I think it was with Columbia, and I think it was mainly out of necessity for them to just do uh, him to partner with a major major distributor, uh, Columbia, or it was like, like you said, he had all the leverage. He had everything in house. He didn't, he wasn't dependent on anyone. He just wanted to expand his reach with major distribution. But I mean, I think it was just like a 50, 50 split. So he's retaining his, you know, master rights and stuff and yeah. just splitting profits with someone who, you know, deservingly. So they're going to get it to a more mass audience and, increase his uh his reach so it made sense at that point but and i think that's the good i mean that his story and how he set it up now and leveraged it is really like that to me is kind of like the goal like where he doesn't need anyone but he can pick and choose and leverage deals to be favorable uh you know uh, to serve his kind of greater purpose which um is pretty inspiring Hold on, my uh, my camera is uh, shutting off again. One sec. <laughs> yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here with multi-talented artist, songwriter, producer, content creator, businessman, philosopher, poet, um, filmmaker, imaginator, Alexander Paday. Um, so. I think that was a good job of uh, kind of describing what interdependent, being interdependent artist is. And um, what is it that drives you to create music and art? I know this is like an overarching question, but like, man, I'm big on like getting to the core reasoning of why we do what we do mentalities. Um, Cause that's I'm interested. I'm, uh, I like to go deep. So what is it that drives you to create music? I would say art in general. I, I love the, the producer side of it um, for all the classic producer reasons, you know, solving problems, nerding out over the tech stuff. Um, music like period is just like, you know, I feel things that I don't feel elsewhere. Um, you know, I get, I get the chills. Like I see the colors, like I, all that stuff. Um, 
in terms of like storytelling and, and the cultural side, like, you know, I like being able to shine a spotlight on the world's stories and different cultures' stories. And I like to explore cultures on the level of music a lot. Um, and then for me, um, you know, I definitely find myself opening up and, and sharing things about myself in music that I don't, I wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable sharing otherwise. So, you know, music was definitely a vehicle to just like increase my vulnerability and get me out of my comfort zone in, in that. Um, so it's just, it's just an amazing communication tool. You know, it, it's a, it's a really amazing uh, platform for telling stories and um, creating memories. Um, it's fun. It's just, you know, really fucking oh, fun yeah. to, to make music and, you it's know, just, man, as and well. it's, there, there's a spiritual element to it. Um, 100%, you know, uh, I, I think that, uh, the music that I make doesn't come from me as much as like, I'm just catalyzing something that came from outside of me. You know, like I love thinking about the muses. I love thinking about, um, that mystical force that 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 hands you that song on a silver platter, um, like for me, it's a journey towards basically towards genius. Um, the idea of genius is is really interesting to me, um, and it it's not like an egotistical like I'm a genius thing. Um, it's more so like the the journey to achieving genius. You know, it involves a lot of hard work. It involves uh, other people, almost by definition. Genius doesn't come in individuals. It comes in groups. Um, all the classic stories of geniuses involve those people um, encountering and engaging very deeply and for a very long time with mentors. Um, and, you know, uh, that that exploration, that journey is sort of like, mythical and magical to me um the journey of the craftsman the journey of the entrepreneur the journey of the the artist um you know like when picasso you know doodles on a napkin someone asks him how much it costs and he says thirty thousand dollars and they're like that took like five seconds and he's like no no that took me 30 years well, right. what does that mean you know that for me is is everything it's so cool you brought that up because me and Sean here, my uh, my first guest a few weeks ago, we brought that concept up because he started talking and how we were working together and he called me a genius. And at first I had that, it elicited that kind of uncomfortable emotional response of like egotism, like you're saying, but then we looked it up and let me remind the definition. It says an exceptional natural capacity of the intellect especially as shown in creative and original work in science art music um and a person having such capacity and what we came to is like genius you're a genius if you've recognized that spark of creativity in you that only you that is unique to the individual like you did you had a moment uh, or a series of moments where you recognize like your innate talents gifts um, and natural abilities and inclinations. 
recognizing that that and then taking action on it to me is you're a genius you know someone is a genius if they do that and so i love how you uh brought that up as well because you are a genius i consider myself a genius because uh of the same same reasons and it has nothing to do with i'm better than you or you're better than me you know or anyone's better than anyone it's simply to me and by definition is is that you just discover recognize and then take action on uh you know your, the realization of your unique yeah. gifts and uh i think that is a special thing because i feel like a lot of people a good amount of people you know never quite discover that or realize that and i feel yeah. i feel sorry for for that um it, it's so. it's it's a, a combination of of creative assertiveness uh self-confidence um like, because the, the reason why not everybody is, a, uh, is creative or thinks that they're not creative is, is actually it's just because they think that they're not creative. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, we come up with ideas and, and, you know, we see the fully formed version of, you know, like, oh, I want to like play like an Ed Sheeran song, but I'm not going to because I'm not as good as Ed Sheeran. Well, the way that I see it is... Um, you know, there is, there's a world where you could be as good as Ed Sheeran, maybe better. Um, all that's between you and that is action. It's not genetics. It's not really anything. Um, there, there's nothing, there's nothing that's such a big obstacle that it makes it impossible for you to do the thing, to do the thing. Um, it might make it less likely, you know, but yo, like, when you when you're connect when you just believe that you could um and that you and you never discount your ability to do something like anytime you come up with an idea you either want to do it or you don't not i can or can't it's just do i want to or do i not does this thing align with who i am when you follow that long enough you get to a kanye level you know what i mean like and and there was cuz again there's a day when kanye sounded terrible like he didn't know what he was doing he, he never made it be before right what happened between today and then you know like did somebody strike him with lightning no it's not what happened um he showed up over and over and over and over and over again um and he just decided you know that his opinion of himself was more important than anybody else's opinion of him in fact he'll even say and i think i've told you this he said in an interview, every time I start a new project, I basically just accept that everybody's going to think I'm crazy for the next year and a half. That's it. And yeah, you know, like most people aren't prepared for that. Most people aren't prepared to follow their own ideas through and be to, at to risk fruition. to criticism and, and be vulnerable to, you know, negative responses that may not align with, you know, what they set out to yeah. do. Um, and, and maintaining that and like maintaining that mentality is hard work because there are tons of negative influences around you. Um, there are tons of belief systems that are not conducive to your success. Um, whether they come from politics, they come from religion, they come from your family, they come from friends, they come from college mates. Um, you know, for instance, me believing that I'm destined to be an investment banker is not conducive to me becoming uh, like a world famous artist. Yeah. 
just like me saying I'm not good enough to be a world famous artist is also not conducive to me becoming a world famous artist. Like the, the, the way I put it to myself is like, I'm choosing to believe that I'm the world's best artist in training. I know that I'm not as good as Kanye, but that's today. And if I show up today and I do my work today, then tomorrow the situation is going to be slightly different. And if you make the situation slightly different enough times, eventually there's going to be very pretty much no difference in terms of skill level between me and Kanye. And there's no genetic issues there. There's, there's no, oh, I'm more talented or less talented. Like I, I tell people like I've, I've had, um, like a three year period where I was in college and I wasn't working on music that much. And then a year period after that, where I was showing up and doing a bunch of music stuff. And I made three times the progress in that year as I had made in the previous three, you know, um, I've been the talented person who doesn't practice. And I've been the person who doesn't know what he's doing, who does. Um, and I'd much rather be the second any day of the week because that the trajectory of that second option is way better. Um, because the trajectory of that is up, just keep on going up. Every, and you said to yourself, I like to see artists who, who like improve and stuff over time. Well, yeah, like, you know, if and that includes look, taking risks, you know, and being vulnerable to critique, if you're, you know, putting yourself on a limb and trying new things yeah. uh, to expand look, your repertoire. I'm never going to make that mixtape ever again. Like the, the, that conception of it, the way that it was done, you know, the quality of that, I'm never going to do that ever again because it would be a waste of my time to do it again. I could do something better. I could do something different. Um, I could do something that is, you know, challenging in a new dimension. Maybe it's more songs. Maybe it's just a higher level of quality as a target. Maybe the music videos are going to be better. Maybe the marketing is going to be more thought out. Who knows? But like, you know, for me and where I'm at, it would be a waste of time to aim for the thing that I already did because it's not going to challenge me like you just said. Right, right. That's, I think that that's a good segue for my next question, which is when is a song or production done? Um. And being like yourself and me who can mix and master to a certain level of completion, we are at a unique position to be able to be the majority uh, of the time to decide when that is. But subjectively, when that is, is uh, the question. How do you know it, when it's done? So the question, the question depends on where you are um, in your career. So if you're a beginner, then the answer to that question is the song's done when you're not learning anything anymore. Um, mm -hmm. Because first of all, at the very beginning, you're not even going to get to the end. Like, you, you know, you're not going to make a song. A song, to be honest, is a completely arbitrary unit of creativity. Uh, and it's defined by a bunch of, you know, sort of arbitrary rules that we're just used to. I mean, there's some legitimate reasons for why songs are the length they are, but some of those reasons don't have anything to do with like 
our emotional temperament. They have more to do with the technology, like the limits on length and all that stuff. And they just carried over to MP3s and to, into streaming um, and to CDs. Um, you know, like physical records, they had a certain limit of time that you could put stuff, you know, on. So um, no, there's nothing there that says that like every song you make has to be three and a half minutes long. In fact, I mean, it, it's interesting how you know, just the simple act of making a two minute or a one minute song comes across as this super innovative thing. The reason why it's innovative is not because it's technically difficult to do that. It's actually because it's socially difficult to do that. You know, to choose to make the song short like that goes against all the rules. So suddenly everybody's like, oh, this person's so, you know, brave and so <laughs> innovative and stuff. And, and they are like, it's true. They are because we're social beings. So to fight that, um, makes a statement. It's true. There's something to be said about that. But um, at the beginning, you're going to be making a four beat loop or something. I mean, as far as making songs is concerned, and then that'll become an eight beat, 16. Then you start arranging stuff. Then you start adding vocals. So until you get to the point where you're able to comfortably make a shitty song, that's kind of the starting point in terms of the, 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 the three and a half minute song unit. Your goal is to just get further down the process, you know, can I can I make a slightly longer loop this time and 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 before I get uncomfortable? You know, you'll feel it. You'll know when you've hit your comfort zone because you'll start spinning, you know, like just doing like turning something on, taking it back off. Like you get into the weeds too much. You start getting into that perfectionist mode. So you've you've plateaued, right? Well, once you've plateaued, the only time you're gonna stop plateauing is when you let go of that project. You have to let go of the project. And move on to the next one so now you started here you go back up again you're going to plateau again okay let go of that project now you're making even more progress until you plateau again so i learned that lesson years ago i worked on a song for like a month and it wasn't going anywhere i finally just let it go i released it and then i made something better in three hours and i was like i'm never doing that ever again so for me i set the limit like it was like i'm gonna work on songs for like three days at a time like Three days, move on. Next thing. Um, there's a lot of people who, at their beginner stage, probably don't even allow themselves to work on something new because they feel like they have to finish. And right. that's completely backwards, completely backwards. Then they're um, overthinking and, you know, looking for things that aren't there. And to, so, because to me, essentially what you're saying is, and I think it's funny because it's the truth because there is no right or wrong. Like I could record a random thing right now and not mix it or anything. Just say it's done because I said it's done. That's how I want it to sound. That's the final product. So it's done when you say it's done. And also to me, it's like when it's not asking anything more of me, like it's, it, it's probably done. If I have to look for something else that needs like, like what else needs to be done to this? That's it's probably done, you know, because usually the music kind of dictates, hey, I, I hear more harmonies here. Hey, I hear some, you know, more reverb here. But but I mean, with that said, when when you're when you're officially like a professional, um, maybe that's not the right phrase. Um, mastery, it, it said that mastery of a skill is in three parts. There's the, the beginner stage or the um, uh, apprenticeship phase. Um, then there's like the, I think it's called the active creative phase, um, which is like 
in in the old days you'd you'd be an apprentice for like 12 years and then you'd finally leave the master's household and go off on your own um so that's the point where you'd formally sort of go to the second phase and during the second phase you know that that's what i would actually call the moment you become independent actually so this goes back to this interdependence thing because the real point of interdependence is learning. Like if you're if you're there to be the best and you want to fucking have serious success, you know, the best way to do it is to work with other people. Um, like the number one best way. Find people who know shit that you don't know how to do. Um, find mentors. Um, work on projects that are bigger than you are. Uh, all that stuff. So... Um, I always say with this whole creative active type of phase, like, you know, the best way to use that time is to connect yourself with other creatives who are also at that point, you know, create that group of people who's going to, who you're going to cut your teeth on and, you know, uh, and dig deep and don't, don't be complacent. Don't think you're done. Cause you're not, um, you get to that mastery phase. Like the mastery phase is, is akin is sort of similar to, when an associate professor gets tenure it's, it's like that they become a, a senior professor they get tenure which means their job is pretty much permanently there and the reason they get that is because they've been recognized as making such a impact on their field that it's just completely unique to them they did like if if all of if all of uh, the world's knowledge is like an orb, like, you know, a circle, they nudged one little area in one angle of that knowledge and pushed us just a little bit further. Like that is literally, you know, the what they've done for society. And, and someday somebody's going to build on that, too. Um, and so, you know, those professors really know what they're doing. They have a certain like they're making a certain point. Like, you know, they say a, a real teacher um, doesn't matter what class they're teaching. They're going to teach you the same lesson no matter what the class. So like in law, you know, I have a mentor who told me, you know, he was, he was digging into this with like law professors. He said for him as a law professor, it doesn't matter if you're if he's teaching corporate law, intro law or whatever. The point that he's come up with that he's trying to drill into you no matter the course you're in with him is there are no real rules in law. You could, you know, take any law and basically flip it to make any point you want, depending on the perspective that you have politically. Um, and that's what he's trying to drive home as he shows how like law and philosophy sort of come together in weird ways, depending on the case, depending on the situation and so on. So, you know, when you're in that creative active phase, what you're trying to do is you're trying to find your unique angle. And, and eventually when you have that aha moment, the way that, you know, Einstein had his aha moment in a dream, came up with the theory of relativity. It's like all of those years of thinking and of working and of computing and of creating finally come together in that aha moment where it's like, this is what I stand for. This is what I'm about. So um, I would say with me, I'm not, I have not gotten to that point yet. I'm not at that point at all. 
Um, I don't know what style of music I necessarily represent. I don't necessarily, um, I'm still like formulating different skills and figuring out what that crossroad is. Um, so that's a ways away for me. And that's great because I have more growth to do. I have more projects to try out. Um, there's still more comfort zones for me to, to, to build. But um, I mean, you can see how like in recognition of that, um, I'm putting myself in positions that basically force me to learn from other people and to build out my comfort zone and to, to learn new skills. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to bring it back to the original question here. Um, which I'm actually forgetting now, but, uh, suffice to say, you know, oh, when is a song done? So, um, when you get to that, that phase where you're no longer beginner, I think, you know, it, it, it comes down to you creating a boundary before you even start. Um, and you, you have, honestly, you're not a professional until you master the art of letting go of any particular craft. And I would say that as far as making beats is concerned, yeah, I'm a complete professional. Like I know when the beat's done, like I know when to stop. I know how to time myself and get serious um, productivity out of my beat making time. Um, as a mixer, um, I'm getting close to a professional level, but I still get into the weeds like i still have things to learn um and i still like waste time so like part of getting to that professional level is creating those boundaries creating those rules um for how i'm going to do this um and creating just limitations for myself um there's there's processes there's frameworks there's templates um there's step-by-step -step you know, things that can sort of get you 80% of the way there. Um, and as you do it over and over again, I think you, you start to get to this point where you have that framework that's kind of going to dictate what you do 80% of the time. Uh, but then 20% of the time you're sort of in free play, like you're, you're trying shit out, you're flourishing, you're, that's the art part. The same way that in football there's rules, but those rules allow the football players to express themselves. You have some more aggressive football players. You have some very artistic football players. You have good ones. You have bad ones. So, you know, that's one of the problems with with figuring that the answer to that question because that question is actually five or six questions because there's five or six skills that are involved in the creating of a record. Um, you have to re what you're really asking is how do I know when the beat's done? How do I know when the lyrics are done? How do I know when the vocal recording and the layers are done? How do I know when mixing's done? How do I know, or actually before that, how do I know when the sound design's done? How do I know when the mixing's done? How do I know when the mastering is done? And I'm very, for me, like I'm very aware of where I'm at with each of those skills. You know, like I'm very aware of the fact that beat stuff, pretty much good to go. Like, uh, you know, I don't buy like a ton of plugins and stuff. I don't watch a bunch of videos on that topic anymore. Um, with lyric writing, I spent a serious amount of time deliberately building that raw skill set up. I might actually spend some more time doing that um, separate from actually making songs. Like I might go back to doing some vote, like some writing exercises, some speed run stuff. Like I do stuff like that, just like an athlete would, you know, train drills and shit. 
Um, but when you get to the creation of the song part, I mean, that's like the game, you know, like where, you know, you have the going to the gym part, you have the like doing drill stuff, like complex sports drills, except creative stuff. And then you also have the, the, the actual game where it's like, okay, now it's time to show up and try to bring a song to completion. So, um, I would say each one of these things is bounded with a certain set of skills, a certain way of doing it. And you can literally look at each one of these pieces and say, okay, well, you know, how comfortable am I at just cranking it out, cranking it out, cranking it out? And like, do I take it personally how good it is? Am I willing to send a beat to somebody at a drop of a hat and not give a shit if they like it or not? If yes, then I'm a professional. If I'm scared shitless about the result and, you know, I have all these unfinished projects, you know, I'm not a professional yet. Like I need to work on that. I need to force myself to reach a state of completion with these projects. And that like, there's so many people who just sit in that limbo for years and years. They don't know how to finish songs. Um, they, they don't allow themselves to finish songs is really the problem. Um, and they don't allow themselves to move on either. So, you know, uh, my aim is always to be able to finish a song in five hours. That's mm. it. Um, in, I, I sort of explained those like five or six skill sets in terms of the workflow. Um, there is, I, I've heard it said really effectively. There's like the yes period, there's the no period, and then there's the refinement period. So at the beginning, it's like come up with as many ideas as possible, completely ignore your, um, your editor brain. Don't try to edit, just come up with as many licks as possible, come up with as many ideas and, and just riff and riff and riff. And then there's the no period. So no is when you take away all of the ideas that don't work and try to simplify. And there is something to be said for, you know, that the project's done when there's nothing to take away. So understanding that that's going to come after the yes period is a really effective way to separate those two things. And then the refinement period, that's when you add like tiny flourishes and stuff, like you're sort of building around the skeleton and the meat um, to, to really, you know, get to like the, 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 the energy and the beauty of the song to really drive the thing home. But, um, you know, for sure, as people develop their skills as a, as an artist, as a, as a songwriter, like you start to realize really, really quickly that like you're learning how to do less over the years. Like you're learning how to simplify more you're learning how to pick and choose these skills um, more effectively, how to use them more decisively. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. That's it. That's the best. I think that's the best answer I can give. Um, you know, nowadays, uh, like my, my comfort zone nowadays uh, is is kind of centered around the the mixing stuff like that's where my that's where my comfort zone starts to thin out like that's where I start to get into unknown territory like I've gotten very good at it I've released a bunch of songs where I mix the stuff but it's also still just like 95% of the way there um, and so there's a point in mixing where I get stuck sometimes and I have to direct myself a little bit more deliberately 
to create an endpoint in that process. Um, and so each time that I make a song, you know, my goal is to get it done faster, to get it done more precisely, more consistently, to, to shine a spotlight on what works and to let go of the things that don't work. And as soon as I get to a point where it's like, okay, this isn't um, going anywhere further, that's when I have to let go. Just like I had to let go when I got stuck with the beat making stuff. Um, and of course that ha that's, I've gone through that process now like five times because I had to go through it with beat making. I had to go through it with songwriting. I had to go through it with sound design and I'm going through it with mixing and mastering now. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's a super subjective, no right or wrong, but I think you, as you probably learned, um, it's just experience. You develop a taste and a, a kind of an internal uh, system where you're like, ooh, that feels right, that's done, moving on to the mix, you know? Oh, I mixed that that certain way, I like how that's feeling, the balance, I like the depth, I like the re... Right. You, ha you, you can't get that any other way than through doing it over and over again to kind of create those, um, to create that process to know, or at least have a sense of, all right, that's done. And like you said, you've learned to uh, think less about those things. Cause I think early on me, especially I would overthink like, is that good enough? Do I need to retake that? I don't know if I can mix that. I don't know. You know, you're always second guessing and, you know, getting it, getting in the way of just like listening, feeling, and, you know, developing taste through that. But uh, great answers. I, I would definitely say at the end of the day, it's always going to be, the song's done once you've reached the edge of your comfort zone. Um, and, and, and like keeping in mind that like, I, I have songs out that are way lower fidelity and yeah. way less quality than some of the stuff that like I'm nitpicking on now, you know, I'm like, right, Oh, right. well this isn't ready and all that stuff. Well, you know, that's just me being a dick like to myself. Cause you know, that's what you have to be a bit like, um, but however, like the, the difference, you know, between like me and somebody else, um, is essentially like, I don't, I don't internalize my craft as like me. I don't internalize any individual song as like, oh, this defines who I am. I right. can make a shitty song and like move on. Like I'll, I'll, I've made entire songs and then decided, yeah, I don't like this. Throw it away, make something new. And I, you know, I've never, I didn't save it. I didn't do nothing. So, um, once you get to that quantity, like I've, you've really like worked on your craft, um, you no longer care, um, what the result of that song is because like your job as a professional creative is not to like make a great song today. Your job is to make a song today, just a song, um, to show up. Um, to do the best that that comes out of you on that day. And if you do that, you know, if you just aim towards making the best thing that I can make today, don't be lazy, you know, put my all into my craft today, that's it. Then each time you do it, you're going to get slightly better, like over the long term. Um, so, you know, in that sense, you know, release, when is a song done? It's up to you. Um, I decide that it has to be done before I want it to be done. 
you know, I set limits on purpose because I tend to, you know, criticize myself a little bit too much. And, you know, every time that I share it with somebody, I'll think to myself, oh, there's no way they're going to like this. And then they're like, yo, this is sick. Um, there's a way you right. can improve it. Sure. But this is sick. Um, and so, you know, that's the professional mindset. The professional mindset is I don't really care. I need to not care how people respond to this, because if I do, then the song's never going to be done. It's never going to be yeah, done. Because people don't give a shit, especially people who don't have experience as producer songwriting or that process. Like they don't care that you just learned mixing like yesterday and hey i just put this out but i i'm still learning mixing and so i'm not that great so it might sound a little bit they don't care they just hear what they hear and they don't even want to hear the rest of it i, I mean i've i've been self-conscious early on where i tell people like oh i don't want to share with you it's not like it's a rough mix even recently um john glass um he's like send me some stuff you've put out or whatever and, and mixed and i had to add a little kind of note like hey man just letting you know these are a couple years old they're newer releases but they're a couple years old i'm a little self-conscious of them i'm way better not you know what i mean like but you got to go through that period and uh that's how you grow grow in confidence i believe through uh learning that process and learning when uh enough is enough but let's yeah. see here what else do i got um yeah, real quick, what other fields of interest uh, do you have in your life outside of, uh, you know, you're, you're into poetry, music, art, uh, content creation, film stuff, entrepreneurial spirit. Um, are, there, are there any other interests you have in your life? Um, ah, you just said it. That's it. <laughs> and that's funny. Uh, no. uh, yeah, man. I, I love uh, social sciences. I love um, sociology. Um, I love thinking about politics and stuff. I don't engage heavily in politics necessarily, but I love intellectualizing. I don't know if that's a word, uh, yeah. but uh, I love you know reading books about uh, the philosophy of creativity. Uh, I love Stoke philosophy. Uh, I love, I love playing video games, man. I'm a big yeah, something gamer. meditative. I don't really play them anymore for yeah, spend a long yeah. time, but I remember like it's a time when like you're kind of doing mindless something, but you're able to kind of open your mind up in a different way while you're playing a you know a random video game, and it's yeah, good kind of rest in the mind. I feel. I take a lot of space. So, you know, I, I walk an hour in the morning every day. Um, you know, I write every day. I, uh, I don't know, man. Like, I mean, nowadays it, it, it's feeling pretty simple um, because, you know, life has been simplified quite a bit. Right. Um, but, you know, music, marketing, entrepreneurship, politics I, I love i love talking about like dating for some reason i love i love asking girls like uh you know what their experience of, of guys is um just to to sort of see that side um and just talk shit about it uh yeah i don't know um i i'm a big like i used to do sports i, I like playing tennis i like um i love snowboarding I love snowboarding 
I actually love like the beach and uh, the mountains equally for different reasons. Awesome, man. Um, couple more questions. Let's see. So you kind of were getting close to speaking on these things, but what would what would be your advice to an up and coming artist producer similar to your likeness that's just starting out with you know similar aspirations or or what advice would you give yourself from 10 years ago type of thing? Spend less time on each song. Mm. Um, which goes to your last question. I mean, song's done when you decide it's done. Um, but, you know, don't, like you, you have to live in today, right? Like today, cause to, let's say you are the place you just described that day, you know, you, you aren't a, a qualified producer yet. Right. You know, and being a qualified producer, uh, self-produced artist with like dope shit, you know, comes down to the work that you put in. So, um, you this, the song you're making, isn't going to like get you a Grammy. It's just not. And if it did, that would be a problem because there's no way you're going to replicate it. Um, you know, your goal isn't to, to make one hit. Your goal is to be so good that like every song that you make with the right marketing could be like a hit, you know, like it, seriously, um, you know, the, it's like the average cause, cause it's, it's a numbers game. Right. Um, when you start out, the majority of the stuff you do is terrible. And then one in nine things is like not terrible. You know, later on you get to a point where one in 10, like nine out of 10 things are okay. And then one in 10 is good. When you're a master, it's like nine out of 10 things are amazing. And then one out of 10 is masterful. Um, and that's the numbers game you're playing. So it really is, it's not a quantity versus quantity thing you get, or a quantity versus quality thing. You get quality through quantity, um, period. Like there's, there's no other way of doing it. Nobody accidentally like does a dope cello solo, you know, like nobody accidentally makes like nobody accidentally has an amazing artist career. It just doesn't work like that. You know, people will um, prepare uh, for the right moment and then they'll take that moment and, you know, they'll run with it. But like, it's not as though like luck got them to where they got. They put in the work and they made their luck. Uh, that's the only way to do it. So, um, you know, if you're trying to be self-produced, I think you have the right idea. Um it's exactly the type of thing that's more likely to lead to some sort of success. Like the market is very saturated. It's actually probably even more saturated now by virtue of the fact that demand has suddenly gone completely down. So like there's no shows and stuff. Um, I say if, if you're going into it, then like now it's recognize like, Hey, like you've got nothing to lose. Um, if you know, you're rocking like a full-time or part-time job and you're doing this stuff and just like making music, first of all, there's nothing wrong with that. Like check your ego. That's what you should be doing. Um, and like be okay with, you know, taking one step at a time and going slowly into it. You don't need to jump into it. You don't need to take some unnecessary risk. 
you know, all these entrepreneurs that have really like made it happen. Like, like Mark Zuckerberg didn't leave Harvard until they had like a million, you know, people on the app. Like it was, it was a risk, but it was a calculated risk. And by the way, Harvard gives you 10 years to, uh, to come back. So, you know, if he left in like 2008 or whatever, I mean, even as of like 2017, 2018, he still could have just said, okay, I'm going to take a year. I'm going to finish my decree. Um, so it's not really that big a risk at all. Um, it was a calculated risk. Same thing with the guys who made uh, uh, Warby Parker. Like, you know, they were all working on degrees and, you know, I think they had like a hundred thousand in sales or something before they finally said, okay, maybe we'll put a pause on our degrees and, and work on this instead. Um, you don't need to like, you don't need to like jump in like an idiot and, and just like, and say, Oh, well, I'm just going to be an artist. Like I have no proof that this could actually work. Validate yourself, right? Like if you want to do it, then do it, put in the hours. It's going to take you probably 10 years. Like I guarantee you like to get the pop-off that you're thinking you want, it's going to take you 10 years. Um, you know, I had a, a really strong base in music going into it. And I still wouldn't say that I've made it right. It's been nine years. It's been like nine and a half years. So funny enough. Um, but yeah, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do it because you love it. Like they say the only people who go into music go into it because they have to, because nothing else could possibly make them happy. So that has to be the reason, um, for you to do that stuff. I mean, there's no other reason that that makes sense. Cause if you go into it to, to look cool or whatever, you know, you might like, you might look cool for, for a little bit, but, um, again, it's the same thing with like faking being an accountant. It's the same thing. Like you're, you're going to be watered out of the system at some point. Um, so if that's not the reason you're doing it, don't waste your time. Don't waste anybody else's time. Uh, find something else to do that you like more. That's what I like as I grow more and more and learn of the, the music business that's what I like about it. It, it kind of weeds out people that don't need to do it. Like I need to do it. Like I need water and air and it weeds out people who aren't willing to take the endless rejection and closed doors and, and frustrating moments. And when this, when that, you know what I mean? And like, to me, that's what I love about it. And it, 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 the people that make it through are the ones who need to do it because they love it with a undying passion. And like, you know, they're willing to do whatever it takes for uh, the opportunity to make a, make a life out of it. And um, absolutely that makes it, and then it also makes it that much more uh, enjoyable when you do reach that moment of first, like success, or you're making a, a lot of money from a song or, you know, you make a hit song or you get a placement on a movie, you know, it, all those 10 years, you know, can be like, transmuted into like a ah oh, finally i'm here but you're never you're never there because the destination is the journey my friend um there's no arrival point but uh so we're about to wrap up here and i just created a new uh segment for my guests and it's called going deeper so i'm gonna i'm gonna run through 12 kind of like trivia things to get to know Alexander Pade. Is it pa is, is that how you say it? Pade? Yeah, Pade. Pade. Alexander Pade. Yeah. Alexander Pade. So 
the first thing here, start and simple, favorite color? Purple. Purple. Favorite number? Seven. What's your zodiac sun sign or moon or ascendant? You know, do you know? Uh, God, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I bet you're a Leo sun. Oh, no, no. I'm a, I'm a Virgo, actually. Virgo. Okay. Virgo. Cool. Uh, I think uh, Tauruses love me, apparently. That's what I've heard. Um, yeah. Uh, no, I'm a, I'm a Virgo. Cool. I, might, I think I'm a Leo moon, though. Interesting. Um, okay. First album, CD, or tape? You know, first, like, album. It was a Papa Roach cover al uh, album. <laughs> that was your first. And you right. intentionally purchased that, like yourself? That was like you got your piggy bank and, like, I'm going to go get this Papa Roach fucking cover <laughs> album. Well, I was looking for a real Papa Roach, but I got the cover album by accident. Oh, wow. That's. <laughs> was it all right? I mean. It was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think I, I like I didn't realize that it was cover until I had listened to it like five times. It was great. <laughs> All right, number five, uh, most influential song, record, or album. To me, yeah. Like, what's the one that like, like for me, I have one every time it's my birthday. I play this full album of the New Radicals, maybe even Brainwash too. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's an obscure pick, but. It's a staple. That's a good question. It can be just a song or an album. Um, Maybe 24 Karat Magic. Oh, wow. Pretty recent. Um, or if we're, I mean, the thing that, the song that got me started on DJing was uh, a trance song called Amsterdam by Luminary. It's like one of those eight minute trance songs. Interesting. Um, okay, number six, Tupac or Biggie? Tupac. Tupac. Hot or cold? Uh, I guess hot. Beatles or the Stones? Uh, Beatles. Word. If you had to pick a decade to live in over the last 100 years, which one and why? Anytime after the 60s. <laughs> why? Um, life sucked for black people before the 60s, man. I, I assume Bro, that was, had something to do with it. Was, it. <laughs> wasn't a good time, man. Um, I, 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 like, I like where I am, you know? Um, I like the technology. I like... Um, I like the freedom that I have, you know, uh, I, yeah, I like it. <laughs> Excellent. Um, do you have any special extraordinary talents besides music? Um, or what is something that most people don't know about you? Uh, I'm actually a very capable card magician. Ooh. That's that's good to know. Yeah. Did you see the uh, David Blaine, his latest stunt where he did the a balloon live, thing? Yeah, that was pretty 
I heard about it. I haven't, I haven't seen it. I actually, I witnessed it live and it was, it was very exciting. He's, wow. right. he really has mastered his mind power. Yeah. Um, all right. Two more. Uh, if you had to pick one word and don't think you can't think too long. If you had to pick one word to describe you, what would it be? Just, ready. Ready. Ooh, I like that. Well, what about the second word? Oh, it's two words. Well, I it was supposed to be one, but then I thought it'd be funny to say, well, what would be the second <laughs> word? What would be the second word? Um, uh, ready, like a phrase. Um, one word. One or just, just another word. Um, I mean, you could say or not too, you know, ready, second word to describe or not, but... Uh, that's a good question entrepreneurial i guess okay, okay. I'll, I'll let that pass craft um, something like that and the last so in the traditions of the east there was a word dharma that denotes a person's essence their nature or purpose in this life and then similarly in the nordic lore was the orlog or like a person's destiny luck or fate or a combination of both um which is like built on your actions and can also be accumulated through ancestries what is your purpose here in this life like in a sentence so for me i'm here to be uh, my destiny is to be free and creative what is your purpose here in this life uh help others be free and creative mm. respect well that is great man thank you so much for joining me on the on this podcast um and being open and honest in sharing your story speaking your mind um my mind has definitely expanded and my perspective has been deepened these oh, are yeah, man. these are uh those are kind of my two catchphrases for the podcast to deepen perspective and expand minds and that's that's kind of what i want to happen with this show for people um so is there anything else uh last words uh uh where people can find you i'm going to be putting all this stuff in the descriptions and stuff uh but projects you're working on and like the direction you're kind of going and some last words yeah. Um, you can find me on Instagram, all the links, you know, to my website and all this other stuff are there. It's just Alexander, uh, underscore pot Um, honestly, if you just type Alexander P it'll show up, it'll be the first one, but P A D E I, um, project wise, you know, I'm putting out the last piece of this documentary. Um, and, uh, I got some more episodes of the cold call coming up. Um, and from there we'll figure it out. You know, um, I, but you can see all that stuff. You can see there's like 12 songs, a bunch of performance videos. It's a whole bunch of content um, and storytelling stuff right there on my Instagram. You know, you can check it out. Uh, enjoy some dope music. Enjoy some uh, some live stream highlights. Uh, enjoy the documentary. We got everything. So uh, every generally every Thursday at 2 p.m. Uh, I do uh, my live stream. I took a break last week. Um, I don't know when this is coming out, but, uh, you know, 
you you should expect a live stream from me every every Thursday at two p.m. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much. And thank you. I have been Vazen, and this has been my second guest, Alexander Pade. Good to be here. Interdependent artist. The name of this episode was Interdependence. Mm. Check it out at Alternate Fields or anchor.com slash alternate fields and uh, hit us up. Go check out Alex's uh, work. You will not be disappointed. And uh, we'll see you next time, man. Thank you. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. All right. Peace. guys thanks again for tuning in to the alternate fields podcast that was episode three with my second guest alexander pade what a great and interesting guy um if you like what you heard and you want to hear more you can find everything you need on the host site of the podcast which is anchor.com backslash alternate fields that's a-n-c-h-o-r.com backslash alternate fields also go ahead and follow the podcast on instagram at alternate fields and also on facebook as well and we did record a video zoom uh of this conversation which i'll be posting on my youtube channel uh which is the vazen youtube channel where you can find past episodes and upcoming episodes as well so yeah just letting you know and uh thanks again for tuning in i hope that you expand your mind mind and and deepen your perspectives thanks again guys Until next time, peace.